Hello, and welcome back to the Red Beard Outdoors podcast. Uh, today, I've got a special treat for everyone. We've got a guest, so you don't have to listen to me talking the whole time by myself. I <laughs> uh, just wanted to say a quick thank you and welcome back to all those who have been tuning in with me every single week and every podcast that I put out on Thursday and Sunday. Thank you. If you've shared, I also appreciate it. And if you're new, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. And with all the podcasts out there, thank you for taking the time out of your day and choosing my podcast to listen to. Uh, so if you get anything out of this, please share with others. I want people to, to know that there's a podcast out there for them. And uh, I want it to pass through word of mouth. I'd love for the community to continue growing. And go check me out on red.beard.outdoors on Instagram or Facebook. Shoot me a message if you got any questions or feedback. Love to hear it. So today, we have a guest. My first guest on the show. His name is Sean. He is one of the co-founders, co-owners of Alpenfuel. And we'll go a little bit more into that. But basically, they are the best granola, best flavors, best calories, uh, cleanest nutrition that I've found for granola that can be cooked with hot or cold water in the backcountry and not tear your gut up. Uh, with me going gluten-free last year due to some medical issues, this was a big thing for me. Also, their company does 2% automatically to uh, conservation. And so they make that a big pillar of their company from the get-go. And so all of those things combined, Sean is an amazing man, his wife as well, amazing woman. Uh, they work together. We discuss how they can have a functioning and successful home life kids, uh, marriage, and a business all under one roof. Uh, their passion for the outdoors is palpable. Sean grew up in Montana, has lived his entire life in Montana, and loves the outdoors, fishing, backpacking, hunting, hiking, camping, you name it. He has done it and loves it. Uh, skiing, snow sports, etc. So we go into all that today uh, and a few more topics and possibly where Alpenfuel is planning on going in the future with any products that they may have. And uh, hopefully you gain something out of this. I hope you enjoy it. So we just go into having this conversation and and to getting to know Sean a little bit more, his company, why he started it, how he turned 2020 into a successful year, um, getting out of one job and moving into kickstarting and going full bore into Alpenfuel where they sell other backcountry food online as well, but their main product that they produce is the breakfast granola that, again, can be eaten throughout the day. So without further ado, here is Sean and his story about how he started Alpen Fuel, why, and where it's going from here. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, I just kind of want to talk to you a little bit about, because um, I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about why you started the company, how it started. Um, you know, I've read some of the articles and things that the news articles that have been done on you guys. And it's a pretty cool story how you turned, um, you know, get getting laid off to, you know, pursuing your passion. And so I'm kind of, kind of want to know a little bit more about that. So uh, give us a brief rundown as to why in 2018, you started Alpenfuel. Like what? Yeah, what? that's a great question. Um, excuse me. We started in 2018, I guess backing up a little bit. I'm a Montana native and I studied 
engineering at Montana State University, and I'd gone out um, to work for different companies in Seattle and found my way back to Bozeman and got hired on by FLIR Systems. So they make laser components that go into search and rescue vehicles, all sorts of things. And so I was working for them for nine years, um, got married, bought a house, had kids, you know, just doing the career thing here in Bozeman. <clears throat> but uh, as time went on, I became less satisfied in my, my job there. I'd been looking for other positions. Um, I, it, with the optics, it wasn't something that I really connected with, I guess. I was the technical planner, so I was reviewing contracts when they came in and um, setting plans for all the, the manufacturing, but we built sub-assemblies that went off into other products. And uh, it's, I worked with a lot of physicists, and it, um, a lot of it was over my head. It wasn't something that I really wanted to dive into and, and learn more about, you know, some of the physics behind how these lasers work and everything. And so I, over time, I just became less satisfied with my job there. I was, I worked my way up into being the manufacturing manager. Um, so I was over a lot of people, had a lot of stress. I had a hostile work investigation as my first HR problem months into my job, um, things like that. I was not sleeping well. I lost seven pounds. Um, I just, I wanted out of there, to be honest. And so at that point, we started Alpenfuel, my wife and I, and we we started just as a, a little hobby side business to see where it could go, where it would go. So we started carrying products from 15 to 20 different other brands like Peak Refuel, Heather's Choice, a lot of these smaller brands that at the time, neither of those were in REI. Um, you couldn't find them necessarily everywhere. So we were trying to bring on cottage brands that were really nutritious and and that people desired and, and have kind of a one-stop shop for all their food, coffee, snacks, and everything. So that was the main intent and the, how that started, I guess. We worked on it in the evenings and weekends for a year and a half, almost two years. And uh, yeah, then COVID hit in June, hit our business, I guess, in June of last year, 2020. And so a lot of the contracts that we had through the laser company were with medical and some defense contracts, but mainly medical and industrial customers. And so they stopped buying capital equipment basically when COVID hit and our revenues really dropped in this particular segment of of the business and so myself and several other people got laid off um got shown into the office you know and said sorry we got to let you go here's your two-week notice basically and uh that was pretty shocking i'd been in that position for nine years it was a stable job i i did, i wasn't really thinking that i was going to be one of the ones let go but that wasn't the case so we um, decided at that point to go full-time with the brand and try and grow and, and bring on our own product lines, et cetera. So that's kind of the backstory on, on, uh, what led up to the, the layoff in 2020. Yeah. Thanks. That, that's some, that's really interesting information. I know a little bit about FLIR. I have a buddy that had like a, it wasn't quite a spotting scope, but it was like a monocular, basically that a heat signature reading. And we'd yes. always go up and, um, it was outside of hunting season. So just while we were hiking, we'd, you know, be hiking early in the morning and we'd see it's crazy how it just highlights um, the animals 
you know, you, you can't see them as soon as the sun comes up, you can't see them, but like they're everywhere, you know, it's crazy to, to see that. Um, but that's, wow, that's, that's crazy story, but it's good that you started that you kind of had that itch to, to do something on your own. Um, and I think a lot of people get that way, especially people that, that do end up branching off and doing their own thing. They kind of have this little itch to, to want to do their own, uh, their own side gig, you know, is what a lot of people say, yeah. but you were kind of forced into turning your side gig, which, you know, good thing you'd already started it right. And jumping right into it full, full bore. So that's pretty cool. Um, why did you choose the smaller brands like Peak Refuel, Heather, Heather's Choice at first before you guys had your own? Uh, one, I guess I've always been drawn to the smaller companies and entrepreneurship and, and I wanted to support those types of companies for one reason. For two, we felt that some of, we picked ones that were very nutritious and that were what we felt a step above maybe Mountain House Meals or something that's widely available. So we tried to target companies that were tasty and, and good fuel as well. So yeah, just going after that market. And at the time, like I said, some of these brands weren't as big as they are today. So being more uh, niche, we felt if people had a strong connection, maybe with one of these brands, they could come on our website and discover other brands that were similar. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I've I've kind of been drawn to that as well. I have uh, certain situations like having to go gluten-free started in last year. Um, I used to go, you know, you go to the Walmart and you'd grab mountain houses last minute because you don't want to carry cans of food. So you're like, I'm going to carry, you know, pick something up that's easily available. I don't have to go online and order it. Um, but when I started looking at the, the nutrition value of that versus other companies, um, like peak and Heather's choice were my main two, uh, I want to try Stowaway Gourmet. I've heard really good things about it, but it seems like Heather's Choice and Peak had a little bit more options as far as other meals like lunch and dinner um, for uh, someone like me that's that's gluten free. And sure. uh, like you mentioned, it's, it's it, the nutrition value is definitely different um, compared to some of the other more widely available brands. Uh, but that's awesome. Yeah, that's it, pretty cool to to hear that you're you're drawn to those companies. Similar reasons as to why I was. Um, but cool. So tell me a little bit about the name. Why, why Alpen? What's Alpen from? Alpen just is of or pertaining to the mountains. And I think Alpine is used extensively. Part of the reason we used it, I thought it was a different play on a similar word, I guess, something that we've heard, but it's maybe a more European term, but yeah, just of or pertaining to the mountains. And then the fuel part's pretty obvious. Food is fuel. And, uh, the Alpine, name itself as opposed to alpen which is us the alpine one a lot of those domains are taken so we tried to find something that was a little bit unique that evoked you know alpine high country backpacking as well as had a free or excuse me available domain so we that's what we landed on and uh, it's worked out well for us we get called alpine a lot but most folks understand that it's different yeah, it's kind of like out. It's kind of like um, mountain and mountain. Like if someone you know pronounced it a right. little bit different. Um, I, yeah, I like that. I see. I, my wife laughs at me because I say orange because I'm from North Carolina instead of orange, okay. and so she's like, "There's no a," you know. And, and anyway, so I, I get that. I think it's pretty cool. I, I like it. It's unique. I just didn't know if there was a there was a, a backstory behind it, but I, I love that. Um, your 
your passion for the outdoors, is that, I mean, obviously being raised in Montana, which is a, a state that I'd love to explore eventually um, and, and eventually hunt as well and do some fishing and camping with the family. Um, but you grew up there. I'm assuming you were involved in the outdoors a lot growing up. Yes, the outdoors have always been a part of my childhood. My parents took us on a week-long camping trip every summer, and so that was my fondest memories growing up were of, of that and hunting with my dad. My dad wasn't into fishing too much, but he certainly showed me um, around the ropes hunting-wise. And so, yeah, I, I was exceptionally fortunate. I grew up in, a, in Montana, in Helena. I grew up around the outdoors. I had great mentors and my dad and other folks that helped me get into backpacking and fly fishing and everything else that I've enjoyed over the years. And so that's, that was a huge part of my life. And then <clears throat> when I went to Seattle, I guess in 2006, I graduated and worked out there for two years for the Boeing company. And it's a whole nother world, obviously out in a big sprawling area like that. Um, the, the recreational opportunities were much different. I guess you needed to drive instead of going for a 20 minute drive and being out in the woods by yourself, you need to drive for an hour or more. And then the trailheads were more crowded and that sort of thing. So once I lived out there, a lot of people, once they realized I was from Montana, they I mean, my, when I was at work out there on the shop floor, my, everybody that I talked to the mechanics on working on the plane, they wanted to, Oh, you're from Montana. Do you hunt? Yes. Okay. So then they'd, we'd go down a rabbit hole talking about hunting for the whole time. And that's, I've always had, you know, that common bond, I guess, with some of the folks out there and here it's when you talk to people, um, you're not talking about, you know, the, the fun conversations for me, at least I'm not talking about work or this or that it's, when did you get out last, you know, when's your next trip and just the adventure and the, the passion behind that has always been a kind of a constant in my life from growing up until I, I, I did feel like I lost a little bit of that when I was in Seattle. Um, I got out of bow hunting at that time and um, just had less opportunity to get outside. And so when I came back to Montana, that was one of the reasons to be near my family and then um, be near the outdoors again, have more access to that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, that, I mean, I, everyone talks about Montana, you know, big sky, um, all the pictures I've seen, I've got a buddy that just moved up there and he sends me pictures. He's like, Hey, I, you know, this is my back porch. And I'm like, Oh, I hate you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like don't get me wrong. I, so I came from North Carolina, grew up in North Carolina, um, until I was 18. And, uh, and so I just, I, there's a lot of private land out there and I had a hunting and fishing license, lifetime hunting and fishing license. Um, and I used it more fishing than I did hunting. I didn't like sitting in a tree stand or a blind. It just wasn't my thing. And um, I was like, I'll just go target shooting. Like I'm not looking to just, you know, shoot anything. And so um, coming out to Utah, when I, when I turned 18, graduated high school and wanted to spend a year in college at a more, what I thought would be a wholesome college. Um, and it is BYU. Um, I, I flew out here and, uh, and I just fell in love with the mountains. Like it just, so much public land and compared to North Carolina. Now I can imagine Montana. And like I said, I've, I've scouted some areas out that I want to take the family the next couple of years. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, 
the outdoors out west is just so much. Uh, you can hike the same trail every season and see something different. Um, yeah. You can hike it, you know, two weeks in a row and see something different. It's just, uh, I love it. So I, I can see that growing up in that and you just kind of evolved your passion. So are you more, do you enjoy hunting, backpacking, fishing more, all three? I mean, I, I yeah, I've dabbled in, I'm more of a generalist, I guess. Um, growing up, I started backpacking at age 15 and I, I was reflecting on this the other day. I used to work at Albertsons as a box boy. That was my, my second job. And I held that through most of high school, but at the beginning of the summer, I would give them my schedule and I would say, here's the six weeks I want off in the summer, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> and they'd give me the time off. So I, I would do a lot of backpacking and fishing in the summer. Um, I didn't, I did some sports, more spring sports track and field in, uh, in high school. So I, I had the falls free to go hunting. I bow hunted a lot in high school. Back then I would say I was equal parts hunting and fishing and backpacking. Um, and then when I got in college, I did a lot more downhill skiing in the winter because it's so close to Bozeman. We have a ski hill 16 miles away. So I did a lot of that. Um, can't say that I went to all my college courses, but that was fun there. I bow hunted a lot in college and then I, I, uh, got away from bow hunting when I moved out to Washington. Um, but, uh, it, it's gone all over the place, hunting, fishing, backpacking, skiing. I do a combination of those right now. And I guess my interests change yearly. I do a little bit more of one than the other, et cetera. So this year I'm trying to get into, uh, not get into, but I'm trying to dedicate more time, I guess, towards mule deer hunting. So I've got a trip planned in a week to, uh, to do some high country mule deer. So that, that should be a good time. And then we'll see, do some ice fishing and winter fishing as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been, uh, well, when you say high country mule deer, are you doing rifle or bow for that? Rifle. Nice. Awesome. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I never got into the snow sports. I think the most I, I do is sledding with the kids. <laughs> that's, that's plenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that sledding and building snowmen and snowball fights. That's about it. Um, like I said, growing up in North Carolina, it was, uh, you know, even the prediction of snow, they shut down school for the day. Right. Even if we didn't get snow, like they just didn't have the equipment to deal with it. And then here, like, I don't even bother checking. I'm like, the kids are going to be at school unless there's a, you know, foot of snow on the road that they can't clear up, you know, like, um, so that that's awesome. That's cool to hear that you're kind of balanced and you like to, to tip the scales basically in, in different directions based on what you're wanting to do. Um, high country mule deer sounds like a lot of fun. I, I've only been hunting out West here for, uh, I want to say four years now. In the first year I, I didn't draw. Um, and so I just followed my friend around, uh, at my first encounter with an elk, which I thought was massive. And, and it was a five by five and it was a solid five by five, but it wasn't huge. And, yeah. uh, I just thought, I'm like, man, this thing's huge. Like, I love these animals, you know? <laughs> um, so I, it, that got me fired up and excited and I like, um, fly fishing. Uh, that that's a lot of fun. It's a lot more active than just throwing out a bobber. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoy that a lot more. Um, and then ice fishing, I've been a couple of times, um, maybe because we had kids with us, it wasn't as fun. 
because they got bored really quick. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, and they wanted to move spots, so I was drilling a lot of holes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's that's awesome. Cool. Um, and you say you're going in a week for for mule deer. Do you um, when you go out? Do you go to kind of familiar areas that you're used to, or do you do some e scouting, or how do you, how do you go about doing that? That's a good question. I would say in the past, um, back maybe in the last 10 years prior to the last, well, I guess my strategies evolved in the last two years. And prior to that, there was, I guess, less interest and there was less folks from in-state and out-of-state hunting. And so that's, that's been rapidly changing, I guess. Back Back then, I, I would find like big tracks of block management, which are, of course, private land, which has been turned over for public use during hunting season. And then the landowners get reimbursed for it. So that, that was a good program. I think some of the landowners got burned, um, had bad incidents from the public on their land. So they locked it up again and maybe leased it out to an outfitter. So the bigger I hunted in central Montana for many years and killed a few nice deer up there nothing massive but just nice you know nice uh four point mule deer up there with my dad and so we would hunt some private that we had access to but a lot of block management areas and we'd put up a wall tent camp and drive around and hunt those and, and some forest service as well but those you know the two places we used to go on block management got shut down and so that pushed hunters into other areas, um, becoming a little bit more crowded. So I've last year, I did a, a mixture. I went up to one of those areas and I ran into very little deer and people. And so the second half of the season last year, I focused more on, um, more remote opportunities with maybe less animals, but more mature animals and, and areas maybe that held deer, but not elk, etc. So I've had some friends help me out as far as pointing me in new directions. And so I'm trying to adapt with the changing pressure and, and things like this to try and, and find some more critters and some more solitude. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. It's uh, even in just the couple of years that I've been, you know, in the hunting community out West, it's uh, I've noticed a, a big uptick already in the amount of people I call them the orange army uh, that, that goes through in, in October November timeframe and they're out there with the rifles. Uh, so I actually just got into bow hunting last year. Um, I got my first bow and I've noticed a huge difference. I love the challenge of it, um, but also, and the physical aspect of it, but also being able to get away from people a little bit more. And um, this year was kind of weird. It overlapped like the last two days of our season overlapped with youth rifle, which kind of freaked me out a little bit because uh, oh, a kid wow. with a, yeah, a kid with a rifle and I'm out there in camo. It's like, <laughs> it's, that doesn't it's seem like, like a good recipe. Yeah. So it was nice because they extended the, the week more into the rut um, part of the season. But yeah, the fact that it overlapped, I hope they look at that next year. But um, anyway, so it sounds like you enjoy mule deer more than elk. Am I getting that right? Yes. It's been uh, so back in back in college uh when i well, i guess i started bow hunting at age 15 and took that all the way through college so that was a 10 
maybe a nine or 10 year stretch. And then I went away from bow hunting when I moved to Washington. I actually don't currently bow hunt. I haven't gotten back into that. So in those years, I predominantly hunted elk and archery and then antelope and mule deer in rifle season. And, uh, and currently my focus is rifle hunting and my focus is mule deer, I guess. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, maybe it's because I haven't had a, I, I don't know, not necessarily great experience, but like, I haven't seen a lot of big mature mule deer. Maybe that's, doesn't get my blood flowing like elk. Um, elk, for some reason, just the fact that they're big, powerful, they have swords on their heads, pretty much just these big old animals that make this sound like Jurassic Park. It just, uh, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's got me hooked. All right. So sorry, anyway, I don't, uh, don't remember so, where we were at. so we were talking about, sorry. Yeah. About that interruption there. I, I don't know what in the world is going on, but um, yeah, you were talking about mule deer and how you switched over to that. And then you stopped and I don't know if it was because the internet got cut out or you had paused for a second, but I was just saying, I don't know if it's for me, like I see mule deer everywhere. They're just rampant, like rabbits <laughs> down here in the, in the city that I haven't had that awesome, um, like, buck fever inducing experience with a mule deer um we see a lot of like two points three points um we're like super tiny four points nothing nothing massive and 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 awesome so i'm i'm sure that in the future i'll get into that a little bit more uh, definitely high country mule deer mule deer sounds awesome um but there's something about for me just elk and i i don't know how it is out in montana but my first experience this year even um just getting into a bugle fest and like it's just something about, it sounds like jurassic park and the fact that they're 800 pound animals walking around with swords on their heads and you're chasing them with a stick in a in a in an arrow like it's <laughs> it's just i don't know and and so i i think i'm gonna be hooked on that for a while but uh, i i understand that yeah that's september is a very special time to be out there yeah. So we're going to, we're actually going out in about two weeks. I'm going to wait for the, the rifle and muzzle litter people to be done. And then um, we've got the extended archery. So um, going back out after some elk, they probably won't be bugling then. I don't know. I haven't been out after them that late in the season, but um, still getting out there and being able to see them and in the snow, just a whole nother experience. And I'm sure it's the same with mule deer for you getting up there high country. Do you, um, when you go high country, do you, like have a spike tent or a spike camp set up or how, what's your setup look like when you go? Yeah. Great question. I, the, the area that I'm hunting, I had a friend who shot a buck two days ago up there and he had a spike camp put in. Um, obviously the weather can change very rapidly here. I don't have a hot tent, I guess I'm, since I come from more of a backpacking background I tend to go pretty lightweight I guess so I don't pack a stove or anything like that it really depends on the snow the amount of snow and the temperature I've got I mean I can stay in the bottom and access it on day trips and stay in the camper or in the back of the truck and uh, do it that way and then if if we continue to see 50 degree temperatures and no additional snow then I'm I'll probably just pack a camp in and stay for a few days so i don't have to put on as much mileage yeah that makes sense yeah i um i haven't gotten into the stove 
tent or hot tent camping um, quite yet. I've just got a little two man tent that I use and I'm definitely not, I need to learn from you. I'm not lightweight. Like anytime we go backpacking, I, my pack is usually twice the weight of all my friends. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> twice uh, the weight. Still... So what are you like 50, 60 pounds then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I always joke cause we get to the trailhead and we're all loading up and theirs look like little camelbacks and, and mine's like the full 7,200, you know, Kuyu pack. And they're like, what do you bring? Like, I yeah. don't know what, the, but they sure, <laughs> they, they enjoy the extra food for sure. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> um but yeah that's something we're, we're funny we're like next because we do a backpacking trip every year um we started that a couple years ago and we're kind of like if you're gonna hunt with us you have to go on this backpacking trip because we want to test your your mental fortitude right we don't want any bad attitudes out there while we're hunting so um we don't have many people come with us <laughs> but we, the first year we went to the sawtooth mountain range um i don't know if you've been there at no. all so that's up in Idaho. And it's, that was my first real backpacking experience. And oh my goodness, like it was like every turn, it just blew my mind with how beautiful it was. Um, we saw some wolves on the way up there, uh, but we didn't really have any other encounters with animals other than trout. <laughs> and we just kind of fished and, and uh, cooked our food over the fire. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then we did wind rivers in Wyoming. I don't know. Have you been to okay. the Wind Rivers? Um, I've been eyeing it for a long time. I've never done it. Yeah, so we did it. Uh, and then and we went over Texas Pass, which I guess is one of their higher passes. And um, we had my oldest daughter was with us. And um, I'm trying to think there was there was a couple other people. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I would definitely bring a bug net for half of the trip. The, the mosquitoes were awful. Um, and then... I'm trying to think. Oh, this year we summited the middle Teton. So, so that was fun. That was a, that was a little two day trip. Um, but yeah, probably nothing. I don't know. Again, like I, like I said, we've scoped out some stuff in Montana. We probably want to go there next year, but what's something you recommend? What's one of your favorite places to, to backpack? I've spent the last three or four years backpacking in the Beartooth mountain range. So that's just North of Yellowstone national park. And that's a massive area. Most of it, a lot of it is above tree line. So it, the trailheads, some of them start really high at eight, 9,000 feet. So you can already be up near the Alpine country, but I've done a lot of backpacking and fishing in there recently. And you can do five mile, two mile loops, or you can do, if you cross the entire range north to south, it's about 24 miles. But uh, yeah, I've done a lot of loops in there and I really enjoyed it. It's a great area. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw some, I think you have at least one, if not a couple pictures up on the Alpine Fuel website. And uh, that's, that, that looks beautiful. I, I love those, the high country um, lakes that call them high Uinta lakes up here because we got the Uintas. But the, the high elevation lakes where there's just crystal clear water um, and just fish everywhere. It's, it's awesome. I, I love seeing those. Um, there's just something about that too. That's just, it's just beautiful. I don't know. Maybe it's cause I came from, you know, I'm a flatlander, <laughs> but uh, it's just, there's something about, there's something about these mountains. Like you can't, you just can't compare and, uh, yeah. and being up there, like you said, it's, it's around 10,000 feet or so that you're, you're up for most of the time. Right. 
Yeah, so I've gone in some sometimes uh, around Granite Peak. Um, that just for, as a for instance, that one's the highest peak in Montana. I think it's over 12, but a lot of the areas are nine to 10 plus thousand. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I want to ask, um, obviously you were raised with the passion for the outdoors and you love it. I, I've got a phrase that I kind of came up with and I, I say in pretty much all my posts and I tell people they kind of jokingly have started saying it to me now, but um, they get out, live your life and love it. And I, I feel like you're, you're an embodiment of that. Um, I'm sure living in Montana helped quite a bit, but um, the fact that you enjoy the outdoors and you mentioned it earlier uh, while we were chatting at the beginning, how you just, you love that getting outside and, and you enjoy talking with people about that and how you love it. So how have you, like, I guess, how, how else have you incorporated that in your life with your marriage or your family, your kids? Oh, let me think about that one. Get out, live your life and love it. I, I mentioned that story about in high school about uh, trying to get out, I guess. I, there was a, a time when I lived in Washington when I, I basically bought a, a plane ticket to visit a friend up in Anchorage. And so that was one of those kind of, he asked me and I dropped everything and tried to go. I, back then I was single, you know, I wasn't married or didn't have kids or mortgage or anything. So I, I had the flexibility and the time off. I could just do that, but man, life sure changes in a hurry. I think some of the ways I've tried to do that more recently was um, when we went camping with our daughter when she was a year old. Um, a lot of our friends, I guess, mentioned, oh, like, I'm going to wait till my kids are six or eight or whatever till it's easy. And we, we went back then and uh, stayed in a pup tent, two-man tent, my wife and I, I guess it's a three-man tent, but we had one of those pack-and-play cribs that we jammed into that thing. Um, to put the kid in for naps and that night was absolutely miserable we thought in the middle of the night that we were going to drive home in the middle of the night and just give up it was terrible but looking back that was a good memory with her every year since and then our son we took the same approach I guess and now we have you know better gear and and uh, bigger tents etc for that sort of a thing but um, I've I guess taking kids ice fishing you mentioned that we had some painful trips there um it seemed like every single trip we lost something down the hole the ice scoop or somebody stepped in a hole but you know there's there's definitely casualties along the way but we're trying to instill that love of the outdoors in our children as well and uh, my wife she grew up in wyoming and her father was a taxidermist or not taxidermist excuse me excuse me uh a gunsmith so she grew up hunting a lot she doesn't anymore but uh she'd go with him bass fishing down there um in their john boat and and things like that so we've both had a healthy um i guess we've been immersed in the outdoors to some extent but i i've enjoyed it so much it's when i look back on the year and the highlights and and things it's those that rise to the those occasions that rise to the top so yeah, trying to get our kids out as well. And I took my my daughter and son out antelope hunting this year, and we did nothing but drive in the truck. We weren't able to get on any of the ranches or anything. It was a new area. 
or excuse me, an area I'd hunted before, but it had been many, many years. So things have, have changed there. So that, you know, some trips are duds and some are epic and you just got to keep after it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, we did, we did the same thing. Um, I got an antelope tag up in Wyoming and uh, was able to take Asher, who is six and well, I guess he's, he's seven now. That's crazy to think. Um, he just turned seven a week ago. And then Brody, our 14 year old, and, uh, and I, I got lucky. Um, we ran into a couple herds on the wrong side of the road, uh, on, in another area. And then I found a smaller herd off to the, the left side. And like I said, I've been bow hunting and, and I did a, um, a muzzleloader hunt earlier. And so having the rifle in my hand, it felt weird. It felt almost, I don't want to use the word cheating, but it felt like cheating at a hundred yards with a rifle after, after having a bow and being, having to sneak around. So we were able to fill that tag. Luckily. Um, I don't know how antelope are up in Wyoming or in Montana, but it seems like in Wyoming, they run around everywhere. Um, so that was a, I kind of, maybe I took it for granted, but I kind of counted that as an easier hunt. Um, so I could take my boys and kind of dip their feet into, to getting out in the hunting and cleaning an animal um, and knowing the work that goes into it. It's not just that dad disappears and shows up with, with meat. Like, <laughs> um, there's a process yep. to it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. That's that. Sorry. You couldn't, you didn't have that chance to fill the tag. You said there's ranches. So do you go and knock doors, ask permission, or you just kind of have to avoid the private land? That, yeah. So this, I've shot three antelope over there back years ago. And so um, I hadn't hunted an antelope for a long time and I thought, well, what a great, like you, what a great hunt to take kids on. You can hunt and two o'clock in the afternoon and they'll be out. It's more akin to bird hunting, I think, than say trying to hunt elk or, or deer. But, uh, I thought that would be a great opportunity before the general deer and elk season started. So we went to the block management areas I'd hunted in the past and those exist anymore. And then we just knocked on doors and we either came up empty or the land had been leased out, et cetera. So that entire area, the antelope counts were low and then the access was problematic. Just things had changed over time and I hadn't done a lot of scouting with it. I just made assumptions that I could go out there and hunt it similarly to I to the way I'd done it in the past. And that just wasn't the case anymore. So if we do it in the future, I'll probably look more to Eastern Montana where there's a lot better numbers and more public access. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, um, do you use any, uh, like maps, like e-scouting maps, like Onyx or base maps or anything like that? You do? Okay. Um, yes, I on X, I use that a fair amount on the antelope hunt, just in driving around and figuring out which doors to to go knock on. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. Um, you know, having grown up in Montana, you have your. Well, actually, I can kind of imagine that. My buddy that got me into hunting out here, there's a lot of places that he used to hunt with his dad and his brothers that he's taken me to, and he's like, "That's new." <laughs> you know, and, and things like that, just gates that weren't there before, um, incorrectly marked land. And we have to check, you know, like with Onyx and, uh, and, and make sure that it's, it is public, it's not private and, um, just crazy things like that. So I can only imagine growing up in Montana and seeing that change. is probably not, 
Um, not something that you're enjoying very much right now, especially trying to get your kids into no. it. Yeah. No, that's it's hard to see. I guess Bozeman especially is absolutely exploded. It's one of the uh, fastest growing. They call it micropolitan. I think under two hundred thousand. The housing costs of, um, I guess, yeah, every, it's the same situation, right? Whether you go to Boise or anywhere, but Bozeman's particularly bad. It's as far as the influx of people and the housing costs. Yeah, well, that's that's crazy. I mean, I you know, obviously, I don't want to, I don't want to add to more people going up there, but um, I definitely want to go and experience Montana sometime and. And hopefully not cause any more crowding, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard it's, I've heard it's beautiful. And uh, it, it's a bummer that, you know, like you were mentioning that people might've had bad experiences when they leased it out um, to public where people probably left garbage or maybe destroyed some property. I imagine things like that. If I owned a big chunk of land and was like, Hey, you guys can go hunt it. And then came back and saw this garbage or my grass was torn up because of razors or things like that. Like I can't imagine wanting to to lease that out to public again um so i can kind of see both angles but it, it's a bummer that you know for the few that do treat you know land that way um that other people like like yourself lose that access it's kind of a that's kind of a bummer um okay well i, I just wanted to talk a little bit more because you brought up um with your kids that you we used to go in a pup tent and now you've got a little bit better equipment and they're older so it's easier I do like the fact that you didn't wait until they were older. Um, I did the same thing where I just kind of was like, I need to make sure that my kids are warm and fed. And that's really it. Like, uh, you know, it, at that point, it wasn't about me being able to go out and experience a new hike or something. It was more about getting them out and used to sleeping in a tent. Um, and there's still times now where the kids are like, I don't want to sleep in my bed. Can we go set up a tent in the backyard? <laughs> um, so just little things like that. It's cool to hear that you handle it the same way. Um, what, I mean, you you said your oldest is eight. Yes. Is that, is it Lila or Lila? Yes. Lila and Forrest. Awesome. And, uh, so Lila was, was the one that got to experience the pup tent with a, with a pack and play. Um, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> but i've been there so i know it's not fun <laughs> a lot of sleepless yeah. nights you um, realize the camping is well you you are more thankful for parents or other folks that took you and um endured that for your sake yeah right <laughs> yeah you kind of get a new perspective on it uh what what are some things that you've noticed like do you does lila for example have a certain interest in fishing or just hiking or camping campfires s'mores maybe sometimes kids just really just like the s'more aspect of camping um what's something that you've noticed that your kids really enjoy they like the um uh, well with my son you'd mentioned kids wanting to sleep outside my son's done the same thing he builds um towers out of cushions in the living room and tries to sleep on them at night and falls over so we're he likes to camp. He's asking to camp at least once a week in the living room. He, he loves to, I think with them, it's just the fascination of being outside where, you know, there's no rooms or walls or whatever. They can rip around the campsite and explore. We try and go to areas where it's unimproved campsites, I guess you could say, where you can pull the camper or take the tent and just 
be there. There might be a fire ring, there might not be. So they, they love the exploration aspect of it. And then when we do it in the summer, we usually go creek fishing. So we'll wear tennis shoes or wading shoes and walk the creek and fish. And our kids, like they're not old enough maybe to fly fish a creek. That's too challenging. They can handle ice fishing, but they, they just like walking behind us up the creek with the dog and turning over rocks and throwing rocks in and getting sticks. And my daughter this year found an old timer pocket knife in the creek. And that's like in her treasure box now. And she talks about it all the time, this knife that she found. And so they love the exploration part of it, the s'mores, the fires. Um, they, yeah, they, they've really taken to it. So it's fun to be a part of. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, I, I would agree. I think that's one of my favorite things for me personally. Obviously, I, I love getting outside, but also when I see something click with my kids, um, I like to take note of that just so I can encourage that because I, you know, as a kid, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed going high country mule deer hunting because you don't see many animals. <laughs> it's very steep, it's cold. And you're sitting sometimes for a lot, a, a lot of time glassing, you know, that's not something you want to take kids on. Um, so you kind of have to block out that, like what you were saying, extra time to just walk a Creek or take them on an easier path um, or somewhere where you can see, you know, maybe even going to like a, a reservation we've taken kids to uh, we've taken our kids up to I'm trying to think we were in South Dakota and we went and saw the Mount Rushmore. And on the way out, there was a zoo. Well, I call it a zoo. It was basically a, a reserve um, where they took in injured animals and uh, rehabilitated, rehabilitated them. And I saw some of the most massive elk in there. I was like, oh, my goodness. Can you just tell me where you let these guys go? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, But they'd come right up to the car. The kids, you know, got to to experience those animals up close. Um, bears and wolves and trying to think they, they had a a ton of animals out there. But. But yeah, I agree with that. It's good to get them out young, not to wait. Like you were mentioning earlier, you're, uh, you had some friends that had said, we're going to wait till it's easier. Kind of by that time, you didn't have to deal with the toddler fights of, or even the five and six-year-old fights of, uh, well, I don't want to, why do we have to go walk? I don't want to go walk somewhere. You know, yeah. whereas if you get them introduced to it and you're carrying them in a baby carriage, you know, or on, on your front and baby backpack, um, they get used to it and they start craving that as well. Uh, kind of like it, you were saying that your kids do. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I kind of want to circle back around to, to Alpen Fuel. So we talked about some companies that you guys started selling at, at the beginning um, with Heather's Choice, Peak Refuel, and a couple others. Uh, and you offer some other things on, on your website as well that I found really interesting. But what got you into, why did you choose to start with oatmeal rather than a, another meal? Because I mean, the I want to say you've got four, or am I mistaken, four or five options? How many options do you have right now? Five currently. Okay, cool. So I've tried four of them. And my favorite is definitely the caramel apple. That's definitely my my favorite one, hot or cold. Um, it's really good. And then the the strawberry chocolate is probably my favorite as well. Um, my second favorite. So, but what what got you guys started with with oatmeal? That's a good question. So I guess right after the layoff, we spent a week or two trying to get like our healthcare set up and other, let the panic subside. And then we 
we went into overdrive, I guess, about, okay, if we're going to scale Alpen Fuel, we can't just sell our own products, or excuse me, sell other people's products because, hey, you know, you can buy Heather's Choice and Peak on Amazon. You can get them here. You can get them there. We didn't feel like we could make an income just selling food products on our website. And so quickly, the thought was, what is the most impactful product we could make in the shortest amount of time without i mean at that point we are we don't have an income so we need to do something that's not super cash intensive and uh i had in the back of my mind i guess in the months leading up to the layoff i was thinking well what if we did food products down the road you know as soon as uh i don't know I didn't know what the future held at that point. So it's, what can we do? And there were products out there that were similar to what we make now, but they didn't check all of what I thought were the right boxes. And so either the calories were too low or you couldn't make them with cold water, only hot, things like that. So I, I'd had this idea of kind of a niche granola breakfast meal that was the highest calorie meal basically best in class and and biggest calories to weight ratio those sorts of things and so I'd had that kind of in the back of my mind and then when the opportunity came with the layoff then we cut loose on getting that created and the beautiful thing for us about those products is they don't have eggs they don't have meat uh, meat is a massive hurdle to get over with the uh, USDA and such to get that set up so we didn't have those hurdles with this we could rent a commercial kitchen and we didn't need freeze drying equipment because they're baked they're shelf stable so there wasn't a cash uh, problem there of investing in thousands of dollars of equipment so it's something that we could make at a commercial kitchen that didn't require a lot of equipment and um, that we felt there wasn't a, com a competitive product really that would have checked all those boxes so that's kind of the direction that we went and it seems to be um word of mouth and whatnot seems to be headed in the right direction so we're excited maybe where that product line can go yeah that's awesome and and again you've you've picked out some pretty interesting flavors um that i haven't seen elsewhere like a lot of places have you know the dried berries and granola or maybe a little bit of uh dehydrated milk in there um and things like that so i was just just and you guys do a very good job on your website of uh, putting out the nutrition information. I also love that it's again going back to the gluten free. That was one big thing that drew me to you guys, and then seeing all the options, the different. I mean, they're interesting flavors uh, that you have, and, and like I don't think I've ever seen a caramel apple out there. Um, and I think that was that. It's awesome. It's got big old chunks of apple and caramel in there, and um, and like the fact that they're not these huge containers. You know, they're. They're smaller, they pack down easier, they pack a punch with, with a lot of calories, which you need if you're out backpacking, um, which I'm sure you understand personally, and you're able to, to get that out on the market, um, but also uh, the sodium as well. Uh, you, you bring that up, that it's only 12% of your daily sodium intake. Um, and so that's really good compared to a lot of other companies as well, because that can cause issues after a week of eating uh, you know, high sodium meals in the back, back country, it can cause some issues that you don't want to be dealing with in the back country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's awesome. I, I love it. What's your favorite flavor out of all of them? What do you, what do you prefer? 
caramel apple, chocolate strawberry, and um, those would be my top two. And then the lemon berry and orange pecan, I guess, are probably tied next. Nice. Yeah, that's, uh, and again, that's some of the other ones, like the lemon blueberry, I prefer cold. Um, and that's why I've got that, the caramel apple up on top, because you can have both of those, or you can have that both ways, and it just tastes amazing. Um, the fact that it's also that they're ready in five minutes, rather than waiting 10 to 15 minutes, like that can be, it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but when you wake up hungry, and you know, you've got a big, yep. uh, or maybe you're just taking a quick break, even for lunch, and you just want some oatmeal, um, you know, being able to throw some cold filtered water in there. It's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Um, how, I mean, what did, how did you come up with the idea of cold along with hot, just because you hadn't seen it before in the market or. or... I'd seen it before. And, uh, and when I saw that, I was like a breakfast that I can add cold water to. That's genius. I, I love the idea, but some of the ones maybe that were in that vein were carb heavy and didn't have any fats. So it was more akin to like eating cereal at home where it would burn off pretty quickly. So with my background, I guess, in the engineering field, I, when we were starting to develop these meals, I made a list of every single checkbox of every single thing that it, I'd loved or hated about other meals out there. I mean, the pouch size, if the pouch depth is too great, you get, you can't get your spoon in there and you get junk all over your spoon and then your fingers are sticky. Like that's something I, some pouches are too thin and you burn your fingers when you put hot water in them. Um, I wanted to develop the highest calorie, most versatile meal out there period. And one that wouldn't wreck your guts. So, uh, people might be surprised that we have five breakfast flavors and we're actually trying to develop a sixth right now. That's uh, a nut free version. Um, as before we dive into other product lines and, and dinner meals, et cetera. So I think a lot of brands out there have uh, mountain house backpackers pantry. Maybe they offer a granola, but they have a scrambler or a granola. It's kind of a, Hey, we need to have this because people need something to eat for breakfast. They uh, we tried to basically optimize every bit of it. As far as calorie counts go, like I mentioned, they're, 630 to 770. So there are meals average 700 calories. Most other competitors are around 530. So we're 25% higher on calories. So you get by using premium ingredients and some fat in there, you end up getting a, a less bulky package. Um, by using all natural ingredients and some organic and gluten free, you end up with a meal that won't wreck your guts. And so with our meals, we've sold a lot of them to guides and outfitters in Alaska and they love them because they they're out in the field for maybe a a 10 to 20 day hunt and so they can eat our meals day in and day out and we've got a lot of variety in the flavors they're unique so you don't necessarily get tired of eating the same exact thing day in and day out and they won't wreck your guts etc so I think I'm really excited and pleased with the products that we did come up with with my wife's help developing the flavors and taking them to a, a, a lot better level than I could have by myself. I mean, it was definitely a joint effort. She was working with me hand in hand to optimize all these different facets and get something that we really believe in and, and love. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I, 
you know, it's cool to hear you talk about, I mean, you can hear that you, you take the care to, to put good products in there. You've thought about just about everything. And the fact that, and I want to get into that maybe a little bit towards the end here, um, as far as new products that you might be coming up with, thinking about people that might have nut allergies as well. I think that's, that's awesome. And having it tested out in Alaska backcountry, I mean, that's pretty, pretty much as remote as you can get. Um, and so hearing those, those good uh, piece of information as well, that they're testing them out and they're enjoying it. Uh, and it's not wrecking their gut, like what you're talking about. Um, I did want to ask uh, just really quick, what with the 2% conservation, um, how come you chose to go that approach with a way to give back? Yeah, thanks for asking about that. Conservation is one of the cornerstones that we wanted with our business. I think a lot of outdoor companies out there maybe arrive to the conclusion late that they need to support conservation. So they do it kind of as a back end thing. And so we set ours up to contribute to conservation before we'd even made a sale. So we talked with Jared of 2% for Conservation. We've got their logos on the pouches. But as far as the why, um, we strongly believe that if we didn't have public lands and wild places that our business wouldn't have a reason to exist. Nobody would be out in the field needing these types of meals. So if those places are preserved, not only my children, but yours and our customers, I guess, well, it's in our best interest every way you look at it to be a part of conservation. And I worked for the Forest Service in college and I was considering going into fish and wildlife management at the time, worked for a friend who was a biologist. And so I got to go on all sorts of cool trips for fisheries to shock fish in forest service streams. We did um, conservation projects to improve spawning habitat, um, reintroduce native species, all of that. And so that was probably the job that I've had that was the most fun. And so I was outside, we worked four tens, so we were out in the field three, four days a week. And so I got to see firsthand some of that conservation work and really enjoyed that. And so it, one of the reasons for signing up for 2% for conservation is a little bit selfish, I guess. We, as part of that, we are required to give back and volunteer our time, but that's, that's us, I guess, and me getting back into those trips that I used to do with the Forest Service, those types of trips. So now this summer we got to go along and um, survey mountain goats with biologists and uh, just do fun things like that. So it, it's not just sitting in a cubicle somewhere. We're a few days out of the year, we get to to have a go back and do those types of things. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's hopefully impactful work. And and uh, everybody that purchases from us, we donate just a portion of that sale back to conservation organizations. So I think it's a it's a worthy cause and, and hopefully one that our customers get behind as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's why I wanted to bring it up. Cause I, I love that idea of conservation and, and I agree with you. Like we want to live, we want to leave as much public land as possible for our kids and, and their kids and so on and so forth. But we also need to find ways to take care of it. And um, the government isn't always going to take care of it the best way possible. So finding these, these companies 
and the 2% uh, for conservation. I, I love that. And the fact that that was one of the first things that you set up rather than like what you were saying, some companies, their heart's in the right place, but it's not a priority necessarily. Um, the fact that you've lived it and you worked with the Forest Service um, and you made that a priority in your company, but like you said, before you even made your first sale, you wanted to make sure that that was a, a staple in the company um, and uh, part of the foundation. And I, I love that. Um, that's again, something else that drew me to your company was uh, you're, you're homegrown, basically you're, you're uh, brand new. Um, you're starting out, you've got a family, you live this life. You're not just trying to make money off of it. Um, you genuinely love the outdoors. And again, it shows by the fact that you want to give back. So uh, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that personally. Um, I know my kids, I can speak for them and saying that they appreciate that as well. And um, so I just want to ask uh, two more things to, to kind of wrap up here. First off, how is it having your wife as a business partner? <laughs> <laughs> I should have seen that one coming. Uh, depends on the day, right? No, I think if you would have asked me two years ago, if I ever would have gone into business with my wife, I said, I would have said, no, I don't want to. Um, I think it would have been in best of our both interests not to. Um, but we're kind of accidental entrepreneurs. And so here we are. I mean, um, my office is in our bedroom. I work out of a fly tying desk. Um, I had a conversation with my wife at 10 o'clock last night about what to make in the kitchen this morning about some research and development we were doing on our new product. Um, I think in the beginning of my last summer and into the winter, it's it was exceptionally challenging. My wife and I are completely different beings. I'm kind of a black and white analytical type of person, and she's um, the opposite of that. And so I think that we're, what we're trying to do is bring together our strengths, um, like I was trying to create the check boxes that the meals needed to hit and then uh, maybe a couple directions on a couple flavors for our initial launch. And then my wife tasted the, the chocolate and said, oh, that needs cardamom in it. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'll take your word for it because I don't really <laughs> know what that is. <laughs> and so between the two of us, I think we get a much better product and a much better business. I We lean on each other a lot. And so it's been a struggle, I think, trying to go from working in an office eight hours a day to coming home to working with your wife, uh, and at the same time, having kids that might be doing remote schooling. So it's been a very challenging 12 months, but uh, we're, we're getting through it and we're learning, you know, learning when to uh, engage each other and when to leave each other the heck alone. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. It was funny because when we we're not business partners, my wife and I, but I can relate to what you're saying as far as like there's certain days where you're just like, uh, maybe today's not a good day to bring up a, a new product, right? <laughs> or something like that. Um we both got sent home to work from home. Luckily, we could work remotely. Um, and I I would have never thought that I could work from home. I I needed my separate places, I needed my my gym time at the gym my family time at home and work at work and blending all of those things. Um, it's, it's made me tap into some things that I probably would have never tapped into if it hadn't have been for, for the pandemic. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I feel for all the people that have suffered um, due to 
COVID-19 and, and every, all the lockdowns and everything that's going on at your case, you, you know, lost your job, unfortunately, but at the same time you came out of it even stronger. Like it kind of kicked you in the butt to get this company started even more. And, uh, and I, I respect the fact that you guys, it hasn't, cause it, I mean, I, I've noticed that this has kind of taken things two ways with marriages. Um, you either grow together, which it sounds like you guys are finding that obviously it's not perfect. It's not going to happen at, you know, in a snap, but you're working together. Like you said, you're finding each other's strengths. You're analytical. She's more of the, I don't even know what that word was that you said, the flavoring of, uh, but she can taste those things and, and contribute that side. Cause you would have never noticed that you would have sent it out and people would have emailed you back that word and been like, Hey, it's missing this. You know? <laughs> um, but I think that's awesome. I, I might you know, tip my hat to you guys that you can work together be business partners, be successful. And like you were saying, have at home uh, school for the kids and, and running a, I say running, but having a successful family as well. All of that, you're, there's a lot of balls in the air there that you're juggling and I yeah. can respect that. Yeah, thanks. It's definitely a challenge, but uh, thankfully we've been married 10 years now. And so we've gotten through some of the initial bumps and now, um, yeah, that's always a work in progress, right? I was going to say my uh, wife brought that up because we're almost at 10 years or two years short, but um, she said something along those lines, like, Hey, we got two more years and then we definitely won't ever get a divorce <laughs> or something like that. Cause, <laughs> cause the statistics, right. Yeah. yeah. Something about the statistics that once you hit 10, it's kind of like, okay, you can take a breath. Right. Um, but that's awesome. That's awesome. Congrats to you guys. Uh, and again, I tip my hat to you guys having kids and running a business out of the house and, I mean, not just living with someone, but being a business partner with, with your significant other, that's, uh, that, that takes a lot of, takes a lot of work. So, uh, congrats to you guys on that. Um, and then my last question for you, and you kind of brought it up a little bit, uh, what do we have to look forward to from Alpen fuel? What are you, what are some ideas, maybe not, um, pulling back the curtain too much, but what are you wanting to do with Alpen fuel going forward? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, currently, we work out of a rented space. And so what that means is up to four mornings a week, we we have a rented kitchen that we use their convection ovens and their storage, etc. And it's actually a really cool agreement with a, it's a company that does meals for low income folks. And so they serve dinners. And so we go in there in the mornings, work till noon, and then they work in the afternoons, make these dinners for <clears throat> either homeless or low income folks that kind of pay as you go and come into the kitchen. And so that's been a great arrangement, but we've reached kind of, the granola sales have grown. We, we're up to 25 locations now that sell our products. And so we originally started out working one, one morning a week, then two mornings a week, then three, then four. And so going into this year, we're kind of at capacity. And the only way that we can bring on more products and be successful with those is to change locations. And so I just bring that up because that's kind of a backstory on, on uh, we need to make some changes as far as our facility goes. So we're looking at local leases that we can get into. And uh, we hope to be in a new space by say March, April, May of, of next year. And so with that, then if we can get into our own space, then we'll have 
instead of just working say 20 hours a week in the kitchen we'll have unlimited capacity um, we can go in there yeah whatever we have time for mornings nights weekends etc so with that we are trying to develop a couple of dinner meal flavors that we can launch as we get more capacity and so in the near term i guess i did mention that nut free granola flavor we have sent that out to testers it's so it's a version of cranberries and it may or may not have white chocolate in it we're trying to finalize the recipe um so that one i would say we'll likely be able to launch by the end of the year for the nut free allergy folks and uh, then yeah we're we have other ideas on dinners and i won't really say what what those are per se but uh trying to launch those in the first half of next year that's awesome that's exciting and and that's uh i might have a new favorite if this one goes through especially if it's got white chocolate in it cranberries yes. and white chocolate for me that's kind of a that sounds good. <laughs> it's got, well, of course, if you get rid of the nuts, you end up putting more seeds in it. So it's got some hemp hearts and uh, pumpkin seeds, et cetera. It's, it's in that 700 calorie range, just like all of our other meals. There's a lot of ways to tweak that with chia seeds and everything else to get the nutrition where you want it. But that it's been a, one of our most difficult flavors to create just because, I mean, we're we had kind of our favorites that we came out with originally and this one we're having to do a little bit more testing and development to get the the taste right and the nutrition and not spike the sugar too much etc so it's it's probably 75% there we still have a little bit more work to do cool well that sounds really good and then uh yeah getting those those dinner those dinners out um i'll be looking for those Cause uh, yeah. I'll be needing to stock back up around that time in the spring. I'm getting ready to go out for, you know, for August, September stuff next year. And um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, uh, I just wanted to, again, thank you for, for your time today. It's been awesome chatting with you and, and, uh, and giving us some, some insight as to Alpen fuel and Sean, and I know your wife's not here right now, but Emily as well. Um, uh, thank you for your time and, and letting us know, you know, all of your, kind of your goals and, and things that you've accomplished so far. And I'm excited to see where your company goes from here. Yeah. Thank you so much. We appreciate the opportunity to come on and get to know you a little bit better. And um, yeah, you're one of our friends of Alpenfuel tier ambassadors. So thanks for your work and we'll, we'll shoot you a promo code that you can offer through your podcast as well. Awesome. Awesome. Everyone wants a discount, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but, but for real, your guys' stuff is, I mean, it's, it's definitely the best oatmeal that I've had as far as backcountry. And, and so um, I, I appreciate you working with me as well. And, and again, for your time today, thank you so much, man. Thanks. All right. Well, that will wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you again so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation and learned a little bit more about uh, someone else who, it's just as passionate, probably more passionate about the outdoors because he grew up in Montana and I'm just developing my passion for being outside in the West here. So uh, thank you again, Sean, for, for joining us today and everyone out there. Uh, the code for alpenfuel.com. If you're looking again, you can buy peak refuel for your lunch and dinner options. Uh, the awesome granola flavors uh, that we discussed today are on there. Go check them out. Again, I recommend the caramel apple and the strawberry chocolate um, if you're going for cold or hot water. 
And like he said, hopefully here in the future, near future, there's going to be some more flavors out there. So I'm excited for those as well. You should keep in, keep that in mind as you're stocking up for whatever your adventures may be, uh, some dehydrated meals. But also this, this discount will apply to anything you order on their site. That's Heather's Choice, which is also an amazing option, and Peak Refuel. I believe there's some Stowaway Gourmet and a couple of other snack bar options on there that you can take a look at, and I'd recommend going there. The code to get 15% off of your first order with the company Alpenfuel on their website is going to be Redbeard. All one word, Redbeard. And hopefully you guys got something again out of this podcast. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of your weekend as it's wrapping up here. And again, if you have any questions, shoot them over to me. Check me out on Instagram at red.beer.outdoors. You can shoot me a message on Facebook as well. Same thing, red.beer.outdoors. And if you found something interesting, learned something, laughed a little bit, related with any of the content here, and uh, please just share it with other people. Again, there's, I don't run ads because I don't like it when I get ads in the middle of my podcast when I listen to them. I don't want that for you guys. I want you to get some great information, good conversations, hopefully a little bit of motivation. And uh, again, as I always say, get out, live your life.